Those are very fond memories. I, I do believe at one point, yeah, the very first time that I met Diana and, uh, and Marvin, I was wearing a beanie with a little propeller on it. And so, yeah, I guess that could be embarrassing uh, now that I get to thinking about it. In the last year, um, so there's been a phrase that I found myself saying uh, over and over so many times that I've actually just kind of gotten tired of saying it. And maybe you're at a similar spot, uh, but, but it actually starts with a, my facial expression. So I'll raise an eyebrow at one point, I'll kind of purse my lips or clench my teeth, and I'll shake my head. And, and then I'll say something along the lines of, ah, unprecedented times, aren't these? You know, and, and whoever, whoever I'm talking to will, will do the same thing, you know, a raised eyebrow, nodding of the head, yeah. You know, and, and the face is just saying it all, you know, uncertain times that we're living in, you know, unprecedented, interesting times we live in. And uh, whether we're talking about politics or COVID or just kids these days, you know, uh, we, go in, we go into that uh, mode. And I was, uh, uh, I was thinking about what I could come and share today. And uh, there's a passage in the Old Testament that really speaks to uncertain times. And so we're going to dive into it today. And it just so happens that as we're diving into this passage in the book of Jeremiah, that it's also a missions passage. So it's like a two for one, you know, like you're going to get, you're going to get some missions talk. And then I got to thinking, I was like, you know what? Every passage is kind of a missions passage, so that's not, so maybe it's just a one-for-one, one, you know, like, uh, it's going to be good. We're going to dive into it, and before we do, before we get into Jeremiah, um, I've got uh, a little plug for, for us as a church and for the work we're doing in the city at Love the Lou. This summer, you have the opportunity to join us uh, for three different official dates, the first one being June 26th, then July 31st, then August 21st, um, and we're, each one of those, Wildwood Christian Church is going to come down, those are all Saturdays, you're going to come down and you're going to join us as we work in the city. And some of the things that we do on Saturdays, it's actually kind of cool, we, we will kind of shut the whole neighborhood down, we've got about 40 teenagers, uh, 40 to 50 teenagers uh, that are leading projects in gardens. Um, we've got woodworking that happens. We've got small engines that happen. We've got all kinds of different uh, activities that they're doing, but, but they've actually grown to where they're actually leading groups coming in. Uh, and so I will most likely be introducing you to some of our city leaders and then saying, have at it. And whatever they've got for the day, uh, we'll work together and then we'll break for lunch. And hopefully it can be a day of physical work, spiritual work, and then relational work as well. So, um, not to twist your arm, but I didn't see anybody write those dates down. Uh, thank you. Thank you. You know, and so I'm just going to stand here and, and just repeat it, you know, until I see some action. We've got, we got June 26th. We've got, <laughs> it's going to be good. July 31st, August 21st, you know, you know, it's going to, it's going to be good. And I'll even, I'll even throw this in, you know, if you're there three out of three dates, a plus, I will, I'm making this promise right now, I will give you, personally, I will give you one of the new stickers that we made for Love the Lou. It's got a $2 face value on it. And so I know there's gas involved and there's time commitments and stuff, but that's a, that's a really good deal. So if you're there three out of three dates, 
sticker for you. And I'll probably forget about it, so you're going to have to remind me, okay? Um, I want to pray. We're going to dive into uh, this Old Testament book, this prophet of Jeremiah. Jesus, we know we need you. And so we come before you uh, in prayer. It's, it, we're saying just what we were singing. Uh, we recognize that you turn graves into gardens, that you, you, you are the only one who can do this work of change that we desperately need in our world and in our lives. So change our hearts, change our minds, change our actions. Lord, let us be a people that fiercely love each other, that we know how much we are fiercely loved. God, I pray that you would uh, work your spirit throughout this room today, that as we go out, our lives would, would be turned once again to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we're in the book of Jeremiah, and uh, I borrowed a chart from 1982 uh, to show you exactly where we are. Uh, this is what's happening. There's, there's a lot of context to this. Um, this is about 600 years before uh, Jesus uh, comes on, on the scene, all right? And there's multiple Old Testament books that are written as the prophet Jeremiah is giving this word, all right? So we've got the book of Ezekiel. We've got the book of Daniel. You've also got 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles that is all happening simultaneously. So I know that, you know, we get really familiar with the New Testament. The Old Testament's got some really cool stuff. And this section right here where we go into the Babylonian captivity, there's some really interesting stuff that's happening for the people of God, God's chosen people. So the temple is destroyed. Um, the temple that Solomon built is destroyed. And the kingdom of Judah is being carried off into exile. And the, they're being carried off by the Babylonians. And the way the Babylonians brought people into this empire of Babylon was different than other countries had done. You guys remember the Egyptians? The Egyptians would enslave anybody that they conquered. Uh, the Assyrians conquered the nation of Israel, and they literally, the story goes that they would put hooks through noses and drag them out, all right? It's, and that wasn't cool. That was, that was painful, all right? So that wasn't a trend. That wasn't what you want to do. That was, that was painful. The Babylonians, though, they wanted everybody to, to not, just, uh, not just be a part of the Babylonian uh, nation, the empire. They wanted them to take part in the culture. They wanted them to literally become Babylonian. And the way that they would do this is through a process called assimilation, where they would take the best and brightest Jewish people, Jewish leaders, or whoever they had conquered, they would take the best and the brightest, the, the teachers, the um, uh, politicians, the strong young men and women, uh, and they would move them into the city. And they would move them into the capital cities uh, there in, in Babylon. And then they would leave the rest of the people. So they would leave the normal people, if you will, uh, back in their land. Uh, but, but over the course of a few generations, this process of assimilation would happen where, where the, uh, this country would begin to eat the food of Babylon. They would begin to listen to Babylonian music, which I don't know what it sounded like, but they would, they would listen to Babylonian, they would begin to, to, uh, to like Babylonian stuff, if you will, take on that culture. And then 
uh, over a period of a few generations, you know, 30, 40 years go by, that people, they forget who they were and they just all, they're all just Babylonian. And this was kind of a new idea. Uh, and you can, I don't know if you, if you can imagine this, but, the, but the, uh, the people of Judah, when they went into captivity and this happened, let's take a real quick poll. How do you think they felt about assimilating into, into Babylon? Quick poll. Show of hands, how many of you think they really, really liked it? Okay. I, that was a little... How many of you think they said, uh-uh, no way, we are not going into Babylon and liken Babylon food and liken the culture. In fact, we're going to just stay out here over in this island and wait until God brings us back home. We've got a father Abraham, we know who we are, we're the chosen people of Israel, and we're not going in there because we're not Babylonian. How many of you think that way? Yeah, that's the one, all right? That's, how, that's their attitude. They're saying, we are never going to do that. And there was false prophets during the time that were literally saying to all of the people, they were saying, don't even, pack, don't even unpack your suitcase, all right? Like, like sleep in your tent, but get ready to go because the Lord has taken us back to the promised land. We'll be here for a couple of days, maybe a week at the most, but this is not that big of a deal. You guys, God's got this. Not a big deal. We're heading back. And then Jeremiah comes along. And he says this in Jeremiah chapter 4. or tw- I'm sorry, chapter 29, verse 4. It says, this is a letter written to the people. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they encourage you to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And how many of you have heard that last verse there? Uh, that's, a, that's a really popular one. You might even have that in your living room. Uh, it's definitely at the bookstores uh, that the Christians shop at. Uh, this this has, uh, has been really popular for us as Americans. And if you think about that last, that last verse right there, it says... For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. A lot of times when we hear that here in our culture, um, we will completely take and miss the context of it. It sounds like, if you just read that verse, it sounds like God is saying to the people, hey, if you sign up for me, you'll have a beautiful wife and a beautiful Porsche and really long-lasting health 
and your kids will never argue, and your dog will never bark, right? It's, that's what it sounds like. And there are entire churches, there are entire television channels devoted to that kind of thinking. But it's not correct. That's not what's being said here. Um, that's what the false prophets were saying, but that's not what God is saying. God's not saying if you just name it, claim it, believe it, receive it, it's all yours. And, and I, I'm not trying to cast stones here, but, but actually if you've, if you've grown up under that theology or if you've, if you've studied it and you've thought about it, it actually leads to a really major problem. Because then when suffering hits or when things go wrong or you have an uncertain time, you know who the problem is, if that's true, the problem is always coming back to you. You don't have enough faith. Or worse yet, maybe there is no God. But that's not what he's saying. What he's actually saying is, you're going to have a hard time here. You're going to be exiled. You're going to be in a foreign land. It's going to be full of uncertainty. You're going to raise your eyebrow and you're going to look at each other and you're going to have that time where you're just like, ah, and you're just shaking your head and there's no words for it. But I know the plan that I have for you, declares the Lord. It's a plan to prosper you and not harm you. So when you get to that spot, in life, where there's suffering, there's pain, there's uncertainty, please remember the promise of God that's laid out here. When suffering comes, sometimes suffering stays, but so does God. And He's bigger and He's longer lasting than any pain that we can feel here on earth. Judah's going to be taken captive. They're living in unprecedented times. And Jeremiah, this weeping prophet, comes along and he says two things to the people that are completely radical, that they were not expecting, that they, that they fought hard against. And so the first thing that he says is that you need to live and you need to settle in Babylon. You need to actually build houses, plant gardens, eat what you produce, marry and have sons and daughters, increase, don't decrease. Live your life in this city. Jump right in. This is, this is the closest thing in the Bible that I can find to saying that if you live in St. Louis, you have to be a Cardinals fan. But you see, where, you see where he's going? He's like, you, I don't want you just on the outskirts. I want you diving right in, right? It's there. It's there. It's there. It's in there, right? I'll go one step further, and this is probably not there, but maybe if you cheer for the Cubs. Nope. Nope. That's borderline sin. It doesn't... It's not exactly in there, but like, if we're, going to, if we're going to live here in St. Louis, if we're, going to, if we're going to settle down, then we need to lay down roots. We're not just tourists. We're not just consumers. We're not just expecting the city to fill us. We're actually filling the city, and we're giving into it. And so we actually get to live lives that 
are for the city. This becomes almost a missional passage for us where we begin to think of, of our lives just like Jeremiah is encouraging them. I, I want to encourage us, what are you here for in St. Louis? How are you laying down roots in St. Louis? A lot of us would say, man, there's, there's a lot of problems here. Yeah. A lot of us would say, I, I don't know if I, if I really want to dive in. I want to have like one foot in or one foot out. And, and he's saying, no, just, just get in. Good. Get in there. Don't withdraw and separate. Um, so my wife and I, we, we moved to Portland, Oregon when we first got married. And uh, we really felt called to it like a missionary type life. Uh, and once again, I think that's all of us as Christians. But we really thought we were going to end up in India. And Portland was like just kind of a, like an in-between spot. And there's a bunch of heathens in Portland, you know. Like they don't know Jesus. They're all godless, like worshiping trees and stuff. And, and so we, we figured that would be like an intermediate stop, and, and then we'd head over to what we really wanted to do overseas. So we get to Portland, and this thing happened. We were there for five years, and by about year two or three, I began to notice that the heathen Portlanders were living better moral lives than the Christians here in the Midwest. And we've got churches on every corner, seemingly, Right? Here in St. Louis, we've got, like, we're very religious. We, we've got, like, a tradition of religiosity. There, they, they, they don't even, it's like an unknown God out there, and yet their lives were more moral. Like, I was, I was taking out the trash one day, and I had a neighbor that just kind of confronted me and was like, hey, why aren't you recycling there? And I grew up in my, like, I grew up in southeast Missouri. We burned the trash, Right? Because there was part of the thinking of like, well, it's all going to burn anyway, you know, like we're not hurting anything, we're not, you know. But there, as we begin to think about what Jeremiah is saying to us, what he's saying is, is you're put here on earth, you're put here in a location, you're put here, don't withdraw and separate, don't have an attitude of just like, well, burn it all, you know, like, like really get in and seek the peace and prosperity of that city. Be involved. Don't become a monk somewhere on a mountain. Get to know your neighbors. Really dive in there. Uh, James 1 and 1 Peter 1 allude to this. In James 1, he says, he says he's writing this because of Jesus to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. In 1 Peter 1, he literally calls us as Christians that we are exiles, that we are resident aliens. Guys, this is our home, and at the same time, it's not our home. Does that make sense? Like, we as Christ followers should be able to completely relate to where the people coming out of this nation of Judah were because we are exiles. We don't belong here. So, yes, we're going to eat toasted ravioli. We're going to. And we're going to learn Nelly songs, I guess. Or, you know, like we're going we're gonna to get in it. But there's, there's something greater that our heart longs for. Here's the challenge. And there's tension in this. Don't just create a holy huddle. Don't just, like, when, when the troubles and the trials come, don't just say, man, I can't wait for heaven. And then check out mentally and spiritually and relationally. Be in it. Stay in it. It's what uh, one of the first radical things 
that Jeremiah is saying. One of the mistakes that Christians uh, can make is that when we, when we get into church circles, we stop identifying with the world and we only identify with people that look like us, dress like us, act like us, talk like us. And Jeremiah is challenging us to say, no, go ahead and jump in. Make it your home. Um, I'll challenge us today. Find somebody that doesn't look like you. Go out this week and find somebody that doesn't think like you. Find somebody that, that has a different religious perspective. And, and, and get in their life. Like, be nosy about it. Like, get in there and see what God does. Jeremiah says, make this your home. Make them, these people your neighbors. But it's not your real home. That chart that was up there, there was, like, there was like this line of Jeremiah, and that's his life. But there was also this line of, of uh, and this is really hideous. I, I pulled this straight off. of. I just Googled like charts of Jeremiah and then just did this. So I apologize. Like, like it, it's not fun to look at. But you've, you've got, you've got this, this story of Daniel that's happening right at the end of Jeremiah's life. And I don't know if you've read Daniel lately, but Daniel starts off talking about everything that we're talking here. Do you remember this? You remember, like, they actually come to Daniel and they, they pull him out because he's one of the best and the brightest. So he gets chosen to go into the city. And when he's there, one of the first things that they do is they say, hey, we want you to eat this food. And he's like, ah, I'm not going to eat the food. And so there's this little test, you know, and he doesn't do that. But then you'll see a little later on, they actually change his name. And he allows them to change his name. It's this back and forth. It's, we'll say a lot of time in church circles, like he's in the world, but he's not of the world. And this can get, this can get tricky, right? This can get, this can get difficult. And some of you right now might be saying to yourself, where do you draw the line? Like, how do, you, how, do you, how do you draw the line? What's the distinction there? How far is too far, right? You might even think that. Like, you heard the word Nelly, and you're like, ah, too far. Here's my challenge, and this is challenging me. Instead of looking at it like that, how far is too far to go into the world? Let's flip that around. How far is too far to go into Jesus? to dive into what Jesus has and to still be hanging on to our neighbors. You know what I mean? Like, like we're not called so, so far out that it's just us and nobody can relate to us. How far can you go with Jesus and still hold on to your neighbors? Still hold on to, to the ones that you love? Say, come on, get in here. Because the, the further you go with Jesus, the more radical it gets. And so, so there's, a, there's a story in the book of Daniel, uh, and we're going we're gonna to tell this one, we're going to retell it together, okay? It's in Daniel chapter 3. Anybody know where I'm going? You want to give me the heading of this? So it starts, we, we got this king, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he's gathered all the defeated nations together, and he's going to test the strength of the empire, okay? This is Daniel chapter 3. And there's three people, three, three main characters that, that come to mind. Anybody? Anybody got this? 
Okay, okay, okay. So we've heard this one before, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is how it, it's, it's a weird one. Abednego is how I used to uh, say it. But there's these three guys. And you remember the story, right? What does Nebuchadnezzar do? Nebuchadnezzar, he builds a, a large idol 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, made of solid gold. Um, and then he puts it on a plane, kind of out in the middle of the desert. And he brings all of the strong men, strong women, political leaders, governors, everybody that would, would have any pull. He brings them all together. And then what's he say? Bow down. All right? Now, this is, this is just one of those tests, you know? It's a little different than voting. He's, he's telling them, like, I literally want to see if your allegiance is to me. I want to make sure. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't, right? And, and so there's some people that are really mad, and they snitch on them. And so they bring them in front of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar hears them out, right? And, and he listens to them, and as he's listening to them, he, he gets angry. He gets really angry. And he's like, he, he's, I think he says the sentence. He goes, you know, well, I'm going to throw you into this furnace, this large industrial-like furnace, probably used to make bricks or something. I'm going to throw you in, and then what God is going to ever be able to save you? Do you remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know how they responded? You remember how they responded? Yep, so go ahead and do it. Our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to assimilate. We're not going to worship an idol. Our, we know our identity. We know who we are, and that's too far. We're not going. So for them, that's where they're going to draw the line. If you start asking me to worship something else, now think about that for just a second. They... They ate the food, they learned dances, they learned a new language, they even allowed uh, the Babylonians to change their name. But they will not bow down to an idol. They're not going to worship. They're going to take a stand. And then, think about this for just a second. Not only that, because like, I've, always, I've always gotten to this point where I'm like, yeah, if somebody asked me to bow down to an idol, that's silly, right? I'm not going to do that. But when somebody says, hey, if you don't do that, I'll kill you. Oh, it's not silly anymore. <laughs> uh, and then we start playing mind games. Well, it's just, it's not really that big of a deal, right? It's just, I mean, nobody's really going to know. There's probably, other, there's probably other Israelites doing it. Think about that for just a second, that, that this could have easily been explained away, but they say, no, 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 no. We're standing our ground. I'm going to be in this city, but I'm not of this city. This is not my home. You are not my king. So you will be faced with this continually. How do we make a decision that, that allows God to be the master of my life and at the same time I, I'm to obey, obey city leaders, local leaders, presidents, other, whatever it might be. The, the way to do this is to run it through this lens of identity 
the lens of who am I serving? And then to continue down that, that road. Live there, but don't separate and withdraw. Make it your home. Um, the second, that's the first thing he says. The second thing, oh, hang on, i got to say one more thing that I think is really kind of cool. This doesn't say, in, if you read through Daniel chapter 3, it does not say um, that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that situation, that they, it doesn't say what prayers they were praying, right? But you remember that when they're in the fire, there's a fourth person that's walking around with them, right? Jesus, God is there. And I cannot help but believe that Jeremiah 29, 11 was on their lips at that time. That they immediately thought of that passage. This is going to get really hot. And then in the fire, as they're being thrown into the fire, as the guards who are throwing them into the fire singe up and burn to death, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to harm you and not, or plans to not harm you, but to prosper you. And over and over and over, it becomes part of their worship. They might be singing it to each other. They're praying it out loud. God, you said you've got a plan. You said that, that you've got a plan and it's not going to harm me. This is going to get really hot. It looks like it's going to harm me. It looks like it's going to destroy me. You, you say you're going to prosper me, that you're going to bring flourishing to my life. Is that, is that really correct? I hope so. I really hope so. I believe it. I see you. You're here. You're in the middle of it with me. It's good news, guys. For each one of us, that's where we get to be. The second thing that Jeremiah says is that we are to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Which means that you're to move into the city, not for your sake, but for the city's sake. Tim Keller, is, I really like Tim Keller recently, but he says like we're to be like, you know, there's that passage of the city on the hill, which is kind of like we're to be like these little cities within a city. These little cities of light. And so if you're thinking that, that this is just an Old Testament thing and it has no relevance to today, Jesus says it like this. Jesus says um, we, we are to be the light of the world and we're to hide it under a bushel. That's where everybody, all the, no, that's, we'll get that. We'll get, the kids will teach us. No, we're going to let it shine, right? We're going like, to let the light shine. So we become cities within the city. Our words become salty so that it's preserving life everywhere that we go. So that the world is actually looking to us for, for clarity, for life. Do you understand how cool this becomes? This, is, this gets really, really neat because some of the most creative artists are Christians. Why? Because they have tapped into the creator. They know who the most creative being is. Some of the best employees are Christians. Why? Because they know how to selflessly look at their life and build a team and serve others. They got that from Jesus. Some of the best local leaders are Christians because they understand truth. They understand grace. They understand how the gospel has changed their life and therefore they're willing and able to be patient with those that they lead. Hospitals full of doctors and nurses full of compassion. 
Where does this come from? It's, it comes from the source. Jesus. Orphanages, foster care, nursing home. I can't tell you how many, how many friends that I have that are followers of Jesus that keep adopting kids. Just to the point where like, it's getting ridiculous. Like, come on, like you should feed yourself too. But, they, but there's this attitude amongst a lot of young Christian couples that I see of like, all these things that we've been given, we have to give away. And so they're seeking out, I'm talking to a friend right now who is seeking out kids in the foster care system and he knows he will lose them within six months. But if he could just give them six months worth of hope, and he says, why, why shouldn't I? Look at all I've been given. I get to give back. We're to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. That, those two words put together, peace and prosperity, it's this word shalom. It means that we are to desire the city to become whole, to become like a new city. That's our desire. That's our hope for St. Louis. Now, now, think about that for just a second. We're not called into the city so that we can then think about ourselves, so that we can grow fat while somebody else starves. No. We're called to think, to, to see this whole region become whole, to see this whole world become whole. That's, that's our calling. And so, as we're, as we're going, we're, we're going not with a lens of self, selfishness, but of selflessness. Um, there's a leadership group from a company in Troy, Missouri that reached out to, to me and Lenny the other day. Um, it was actually a month ago. And um, they run a pet shampoo company, okay? And so they're like, hey, we, we wash pets and we want to talk to you at Love the Loo. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so they come down and, and I didn't really know them. Right? But they were talking about like some business ideas, and I thought maybe we could get our kids out there or something just to see their machines. And they told me their story, and they are a pet shampoo company that started because there were some missionaries who needed funds to go to Guatemala and work with orphans in Guatemala. And so they had to start a business to get the funds, and so pet shampoo is obviously a booming industry. It actually is. I didn't know this, but it's, it's a booming industry, and they, that's what they chose. And so they grew the business. Um, they, they have a culture of wanting to pay their employees the best salaries that Troy, Missouri would offer. You know, I'm, and I'm not making this up. Like They have a culture where they would treat their employees well and that their profits would then go to Guatemala. And so they built orphanages. And I, the number of, of kids that they've rescued off the streets was just awesome to hear. And they've got 200 employees out there, and they've got to expand, and Target has orders in, and Walgreens has orders in, and they need to start this new shampoo line for pets, and what if they did that in North St. Louis? And what if, what if our neighbors were the ones who ran it? And what if they gave that whole line away, and it just became kind of their own thing, and the whole neighborhood got to choose how that pet shampoo business was run? And they just supply all the materials, all of the, the insight, some of the business practices. And Lenny and I were just like blown away, like, yeah, I, we're going to wash pets. 
This is what we're going to do. Guys, that kind of thing, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, this is, this is what Christians get to do when we're thinking, how do I make this city whole? You have talents. You have gifts. You have things that God has passed along to you that, that nobody else has. They're unique to you, and you're going to do them uniquely. How can you serve the kingdom? I met with a guy. I got a lot of stories here, so we're just going to pick a couple. Um, I was in a conversation this week with uh, a seminary professor who has started up an organization that is now a national organization. He's writing books, and, uh, and so it's this national, nationwide encouragement to churches um, to move culturally from just meeting needs to building assets. And what that means is there's a lot of churches out there that have backpack drives or food banks. And that's good, and they mean well. But what it's doing is, especially in the inner cities, is it's creating a dependency. Like my neighbors, my neighbors don't buy school supplies. They won't buy school supplies because all the churches will do backpack drives. And so they know that on, you know, once August is ending, they can head over to several different churches and get all their school supplies. And they also know which food banks they can go to they also know which places they can go to get their driver's license uh, or birth certificate and all of that stuff. And so what churches have learned to do is they, they meet needs, but they haven't actually uh, assisted in raising up neighborhoods. Does that make sense? And so there's, there's books being written about how churches can change their culture. And so he's talking to me and he says, he says you know what we really need is we need like some people out of the church that would just offer like skills that they would have and they could create kind of like a, a place where, you know, where neighbors could come and learn those skills and they could be lifted up. And I was like, oh, like, like Andy Bell. <laughs> like, like, you know, like a guy who's in a church who feels called to, to offer what he has. His heart is convicted. His heart is broken for his city. And he says, I'm going to go into this place and I'm just every Saturday going to teach woodworking. And the guy that I was talking to who writes books and does all Yes, yes, how do I talk to him? Like, this, this is how we do it. You see how cool it is that the Spirit can move. And the Spirit, that, that, that he's, it's not, it's not this extravagant sort of thing. It's more of like the ordinary, everyday actions with gospel intentionality. With a lens of, I want to seek the peace and prosperity of my city. And that's changing St. Louis. Um, there's this kid named Asher who's 16 years old who comes down and serves with us twice a week. He likes reading and math, and so he sits with other 16-year-olds and teaches them reading and math. And he, he had recently got his driver's license, and so he could drive into the city, and then he drives back out. That's all he does, just reading and math. But he's doing it with this gospel intentionality, and God's going to do something really cool with it. Um, in the next couple weeks, you will most likely find yourself in a conversation where you're shaking your head and you're gritting your teeth and you're going, ah, unprecedented, you know, just crazy times. And maybe you're not talking about politics or COVID or, or the kids these days. Maybe you're, maybe you're getting into your marriage or your finances or or, or your job, or your school loan, or your church family, or, 
or a bank teller or grocery store or someone at the gym. Maybe it's starting to hit you personally rather than just kind of all these exterior things. What I want to encourage you with is the same thing that Jeremiah is saying. And I know it's not popular. Jeremiah was not a popular guy, but it's good. In these moments, God's right there with you. He's got a plan. Remember the promise. Remember the plan. When we choose God's way, when we choose his way and we let him show up, he's going to be there even if there's a fire all around us. And Jesus is better than this world, than anything the world has to offer. And so with that, we're, we will go into a time of communion and we're going to talk about, we're, you know, in the communion, and I'm going to steal this completely uh, from Marvin, but, but Jesus died on the cross. Like he's the example, Right? He's the one that taught us how to, to, to really seek the peace of the city, to, to selflessly love, to sacrifice. Jesus teaches us. And so I'm going to pray, and then when we do go into our time of communion, I want us to be rededicating ourselves to Jesus. Just one more day where we're saying yes to him as master, as Lord.